Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, and welcome to The Kite Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This week, I am going to, obviously I'm sticking to the UK, but we're not really in the UK much, so do bear with me. And this week, I'm going to tell you about the case of Annie Dewani. Before I begin, I would just like to thank everyone who's tagged us in our inst- or their Instagram stories, especially following the Spotify Wrapped, but also just in general and, you know, those who message us. And I would also just like to apologise because I'm awful at keeping up with everything and I also miss them. So I do respond after a while, but yeah, yeah I would we like to say I'll change. Yeah, I made a game a while ago. Santa did the social media. I do other things, nothing. Um, but yeah. I do a lot. Um, but yeah, you you are going bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is funny. Um, but I think it is as well because we don't expect people to reach out, so we still find it very bizarre. Which yeah. is a nice, a nice bizarre, but bizarre at the same time. Yeah, because it's like does. Why do you want to talk to us? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, well, but I'm like, bye. Do you? Yeah, but it's great and we do appreciate it. So honestly, just know we will see your message and thank you. Um, also as well, one quick update that I'd like to do following the James Bulger episode. So it came mm-hmm. out on Wednesday, just past, um, that John Venables, his parole bid to be freed from prison actually failed. So you've, you've probably seen it in the... In the um, yeah, I did see that actually. News. So police officers ruled he remains a danger to children, quite rightly so. And so his next eligible, or he's next eligible for parole in about two years' time. So again, he might be freed, he might not. But hey, if we're still doing it, it's a we, lot to... we might keep you tuned. <laughs> yeah, two years' time, we're going to do the recap. Um, no, but I think actually, how much can you change in two years? I'm not going to spend too long talking about it because it's not that case, but... Like, I think saying, like, you've got your dated children, you can't really change that much in two years. So I think it would be declined again, but maybe, like, a more, a less time to the next one. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I agree with you because, yeah, he's not changed in 20-odd years. So, mm. um, also, yeah, before we, we begin... Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. please. No, mm-hmm. I was going to say we'll move on. So you okay, say before, before we, we begin. begin <laughs> uh, last recording, I had a chest infection. So I sounded like death. And I'm sorry, I didn't realise how bad you sounded until we've started recording. 
Oh, did you Samantha's, sing? That? I'm so sorry. Samantha's now unwell. So yeah. I apologise for the deep voices again, unless that's what you're into. You're welcome. I could go deep. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, oh no, it's fine. Probably not appropriate. One of those shows from back in the day. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Next up. Anyway, moving on. Um, Caitlin, have you heard of Annie Duani before? It does ring a bell, but I don't know why. Yeah, it, I, it like I don't know if it's because you've spoke about it. I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Nope, that is fair enough. Um, it is a more modern one ish, two thousand and ten for me, so that's quite good. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think you'll you'll realise or you'll recognise some parts of it. So I will just begin. Um, twenty eight year old Annie Nina Hindocha was born to Vinod and Nilam in Sweden. Her family were originally from Uganda, but they had been forced to leave in the early 1970s after the country's president, um, Eddie Armin, gave all Ugandans of South Asian descent 90 days to leave the country. Um, So I did not know about this. I did a bit of Googling and learnt some history there, which was crazy. Um, The family were granted residence in Sweden and they settled in Maristad before Annie was born. Now, Annie had a sister named Amy and a brother, Anish. Her father, Vinod, thrived in Sweden after starting a successful business and the family, they were just very settled. Annie was described as intelligent, ambitious and confident and her father knew he spoiled her, but he just couldn't help himself. She was a proper daddy's girl. Now, Annie's cousin said she was like the leader of the pack and the glue to the whole family. After she graduated from university, Annie moved to Stockholm to work in marketing for the mobile phone maker Ericsson. And as she reached her mid-twenties, she was looking to settle down and hoping to find a husband because she adored her sister's children and she was quite keen to start a family of her own. Annie regularly flew to London and she would spend her time just shopping and socialising. Not long after she met after she kept going to London, though, she met 30-year-old Shreen from Bristol. He was a well-respected and successful man working in his family's nursing home business, and he was already a millionaire before the age of 30. One of Annie's aunts had seen him around and thought that the match between him and her niece would be perfect, and so she arranged for the pair to meet at a coffee shop. His sister said that although Annie didn't seem to like him straight away, after the second date she had warned to him. Shreen had been engaged previously, but the wedding was called off due to what was described as kind of petty family disagreements, which, you know, everybody has. Now, Shreen and Annie had very similar lives because Shreen's parents having also fled Uganda for the same reasons. Now, Annie's friends and family, they had different opinions of him. Some said they found him to be quite arrogant, you know, and some someone that loved to show off his wealth. But others said that beneath all of that, he was actually very kind and generous. I mean, you could probably be both, I would say, in my opinion. Um, Annie's sister said that Annie would always talk about how much she liked his sense of humour and the way he made her feel protected. The couple entered into a long-distance relationship at first, taking it in turns to visit each other, and they began finding things tough. Both sets of friends said that they were both very headstrong people and they often argued, presumably mostly about the distance. At one point, Annie called for a break on the relationship, but they eventually patched things up with Annie giving up her job in Stockholm and moving into an apartment in Luton so that the couple could be closer. 
Annie's parents soon flew over to meet Shreen's family and they recalled feeling a bit intimidated by the wealth of the Dewani family but said that they were very welcoming and warm people. Vinod said that everyone had really liked Shreen. He was polite, educated and driven and the couple seemed to have a great connection. Annie told her dad that Shreen did not believe in sex before marriage, which was something Vinod said showed dedication to his religion, and Annie, as his future wife, after the visit was over, both parents had approved of the couple and their families. So Annie and Shreen made plans to marry in October 2010. Annie spent three months in India planning the wedding, and hundreds of guests gathered just outside of Mumbai to celebrate the marriage of the two of them. And the wedding lasted three days, and it was just brilliant, exquisite, you know, very big event. Annie's dad had said that although his family were not wealthy, like the Dewanis, he had been saving for his children's wedding since they were born and wanted to give Annie everything she had dreamed of. As picture perfect as the wedding had seemed, some of Annie's closer friends recalled feeling weird about it, with one of her friends saying it didn't feel like Annie was very present, and someone else referred to the wedding as a strange experience that didn't feel like the friends she knew. Three weeks after the wedding celebrations were over, the newlyweds, Shreen and Annie Dewani, would be heading off for their honeymoon on a 10-day trip to South Africa which Annie knew nothing about because Shreen had planned the whole thing for them. He had told people they chose South Africa because it was an S for Shreen and an A for Annie. So, Caitlin, I think all we would be able to go to if we did that, not that we're getting married, would be South Carolina. <laughs> so pack your bags, son. We're going away. <laughs> I'm up for it. Great. Um, After a busy and eventful few days, they both arrived at Cape Town International Airport from Johannesburg on the 12th of November 2010, which was a Friday. Dream was looking to flag down a taxi instead of using the hotel's dedicated car service, and he instead opted for the local shuttle service at a cheaper rate. Now, I guess that's how millionaires stay millionaires. Just saying. Now... A driver named Zola Tongo pulled over in a Volkswagen minivan and the couple began the 20-minute drive to their lavish waterfront hotel called Cape Grace. Before Tongo dropped them at their hotel, Shreen asked Tongo to wait for him so he could make plans for him to pick them up the following night for dinner and said he wanted him to show the couple around Cape Town as well. And so Tongo agreed to act almost as an unofficial tour guide for the couple. Which, that's one thing, I know this is obviously going to take a south dive, but I think the one of the good things is when you go abroad, like you've got the tax drivers or you've got the people, and they actually make a full-on effort, and they, you know, they're there, they do the service. And, like, I feel like here, because we're just so busy, it's always like, right, okay, yep, you're right, next customer, you know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean, which is obviously very, very different from us. The next day, before they were picked up by Tongo, they spent time at the bar having some drinks and just taking pictures and, you know, living their holiday life. Shreen had reserved a table at 96 Winery Road, one of the most acclaimed restaurants in the area, and Tongo picked the couple up at about 7.30pm. But on the way to the restaurant, Shreen and Annie decided they weren't in the mood for a big meal, <laughs> said not us ever, and wanted something lighter. Tongo said he knew the right area and would take them there and so he pulled off the highway just before 9pm and eventually dropped them off at the Surfside restaurant in the Strand. 
They both stayed for only a short time before Tongo picked them up at around about 10.30 that night. Trine said Annie was keen to see the raw and real culture of some parts of South Africa, especially the nightlife of the townships, and he said she insisted that Tongo drive around and show them what it was like. So the three of them drove into the township of Guguletu, which to this day has an extremely high crime rate, and people that live there say... Oh, really? Yeah. Now, we're in South Africa, remember. I'm not turning them with a brush or anything, but I mean some parts are a very dangerous place it's yeah we could say you know oh Edinburgh Glasgow there's some rough parts no 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 No, I think this is rough notoriously hear that about South Africa yeah now to even to the point that the people that lived there said it's rare to ever leave your homes after dark let alone have tourists that visit now, for some perspective, over 700 people were murdered in Guguletu between 2005 and 2010, which amounts to one murder every two and a half days. And for five consecutive years, the police said to themselves they wouldn't even travel into some of the townships without being in a big group. Like, I love to travel, yes. You know, I accidentally booked a hotel for me and my pal Nat in the Tenderloin of San Francisco one time. So I'm not fussed about staying in rough places, like this is all just a wee bit weird to me I think it's very different isn't it and I think when you look at like people's houses and stuff in South Africa they've got so much security there's so much about because of the different like it's a a completely different risk to what we'd have here yeah and you just would never go looking for this sort of danger so so far this does not make sense in my opinion now at 10 45 Tongo stopped the car at an intersection and out of nowhere two men rushed to the vehicle and started banging on the windows holding guns and the men got into the car eventually forcing Tongo out they began driving around for almost an hour with the couple holding each other in the back seat terrified and they had taken Shreen's watch and phone and Annie's jewellery Eventually, the car stopped and the man who was driving said they didn't want to hurt the couple and they would let them go, but separately. Shane was then thrown out onto the road and the gunmen sped off into the night with Annie, who was quite rightly rather hysterical in the back seat. At around 11.30pm, a man opened his door to find Shreen standing in front of him, crying and asking if there was anywhere near he could report a carjacking. He'd been stumbling up and down the road, knocking on doors, moving from one home to the next in the dark. And the man said he had asked for details, but Shreen was hazy and too distraught to remember much. The police arrived shortly after and took Shreen back to the location it happened, driving around trying to piece everything together. They also quickly located the taxi driver, Zola Tongo, who had reported the carjacking as well. And everyone headed back to the Cape Grace Hotel together. The hotel manager spoke with both Shreen and Tongo and Tongo had commented on the fact that it was pretty odd to be staying in a hotel as glamorous as Cape Grace on your honeymoon and be wanting to travel travel through dangerous townships like Guguletu in the middle of the night. Shortly after, Vinod got a call off per, um, Prakash Devani, Tawani sorry, back in Bristol saying that Annie had been kidnapped. Vinod was confident they could pay the kidnappers whatever they wanted and save his daughter. After this call, he then received a call from Shreen telling him how sorry he was and that he was unable to protect Annie. Vinod then booked the first flight out. 
Early the following morning, police had received a call from a resident living in a neighbourhood in Kalicha, about a 20-minute drive from Guguletu, and they reported that a grey Volkswagen minivan had been sitting alongside the road all night. At 8am, the police got to the vehicle and lying across the back seat was dead body of Annie Dewani. She'd been shot once at point-blank range in the neck and the bullet was lodged in the seats. She had some bruises on her body and the coroner confirmed that she would have bled to death. Tragically, her father heard of this as he was boarding his connecting flight from Amsterdam and he said he spent the journey feeling totally numb and he then got off the plane to meet Shreen the next day at the Cape Grace Hotel. One of the officers that had arrived at the scene that morning said he knew right away this would not be a straightforward case because something just felt strange and it didn't sit right with him. He said that Tongo would have known the area well enough to know the dangers at least and probably enough that he would most likely be able to identify the two men. You wouldn't drive tourists around there during the day, let alone at night. And so we asked Tongo, why did he even do that? Tongo said that Annie insisted but Annie's sister said she simply didn't believe Annie would have wanted to do that and was very well aware of the potential dangers they could have faced. The officer questioning Tongo wondered why the men let both he and Shreen leave alive and unharmed, knowing they would likely go straight to the police and identify them. But then they continued to drive with Annie by herself and then shot her. It just doesn't make any sense. This is exactly like last week's case. Tracy Andrews. Yeah. When that's what the police said, why would you let her go without being terrible? Like, if she has seen you, why would you let the husband, like, go? If he's seen you, sorry, why would you let the husband go? Because he's going to be able to identify you clearly. And if you're already going to kill one, why would you not kill another? So that was the whole thing about Tracy Andrews' boyfriend, remember, with her story. It was like, why yeah. would they kill him? But then be like, oh, no, you're okay to go. Exactly. Stupidest so thing. Keep- Never going to happen. Yeah, keep that in your head as well, because actually could be similar. You don't know. Not that I'm copying your cases here. I've had this for a while, but it yeah, is very similar. Your own research. I know. <laughs> Just because mine's are successful. <laughs> the murder of Annie was shocking and the residents of Cape Town in South Africa as a whole, they were shocked as well because despite the crime rates, it was still an appalling and awful crime by anyone's standards, never mind adding a tourist into the mix. Annie's story took a lot of space in the news and had immense media coverage from all over the world, as you can imagine. And so authorities threw a huge amount of time and resources into the case to try and get to the bottom of why this has happened. And also the world's eyes were on them. They were looking for answers. You know, they're going to just try and push through this. Tongo was initially very helpful with the police and he was keen to answer their questions as the case was moving at a rapid pace. The two men that had hijacked the vehicle were quickly located from prints found in and on the car. One set took police straight to a man named Khalil Mengeli. He'd been arrested several years earlier and his prints had remained on file. He was apprehended in his home and while police were searching around, they found a phone that had been wedged in between the mattress and the bed frame. When they asked who this belonged to, Mengeni said it belonged to the taxi driver Zola Tongo. Mengeni confessed to his involvement almost immediately and he told police that the third man they were looking for was 26-year-old Zwama Doda Kweb, 
who was found two days later by this time. And sorry, he was found two days later, but I don't know if this is shocking to anyone else. Shreen had already flown back to the UK, which what? I didn't think. Yeah. So all this Husband. is going on. Yeah. People are getting no, arrested and he's flown back home. I don't know if it's maybe, you know, you've got to do things with the body yet. Thing. I don't even know, but it's Where's weird the body? to me. Well, I'm sh- that'll be still in South Africa. <clears throat> yeah. So I don't know why. Nope. Yeah. flag. Yeah. While Craig was being questioned, he threw a third and new name into the mix, Mondo Malombo, who was a receptionist at another hotel. As Craig was leaving one of his interviews, Malombo was being brought in, and as he passed him, Craig asked police if he could speak to him, but that he would say it in English, which they then allowed. He said, tell them everything. Police soon made another announcement, being that the 31-year-old taxi driver, who'd been so helpful and forthcoming with detectives, had also just been arrested in connection with the murder of Annie. Tongo's friend said it came as a total shock to them because he had no criminal record and he'd always been so responsible and law-abiding. They said something like this was very hard to believe. However, Shreen had told a reporter he had actually suspected that Tongo was involved, so the arrest didn't come as a complete shock. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the web of everything, you're just like, what's, who is this? Who's to blame? Now, as the media frenzy continued, Annie was finally, she did finally get laid to rest. And 1,500 people, they gathered in a concert hall in London for Annie's memorial service and her ashes. They were le- later be scattered in her favourite area on the Vanum Lake, which was close to her hometown in Sweden. The police's investigation continued and to their surprise, Zola Tongo would make a claim so strong and startling that it would turn the investigation completely on its head. Tongo was escorted into Windberg Magistrates' courts and his face was hidden by a sheet because there were so many, you know, reporters, public, everything. It had been announced that he was likely to enter a plea bargain and receive a more lenient sentence in exchange for more information about the case. Tongo claimed that he was no ran- it was no random attack and he wanted to tell the whole truth about what had really happened that night. He alleged that it had in fact been Annie's husband, Shreen, that had orchestrated the entire crime and put together the plan to kill his new bride. He said that the day he picked Shreen and Annie up from the airport, Shreen hung back to talk to him while Annie went inside. According to the CCTV, Shreen spent almost 10 minutes talking to Tongo in the car. Now, what Shreen allegedly said was that he wanted someone taken off the scene. And so Tongo said to him that he was not the man for the job, but that he knew someone that could facilitate his request. He said that Shreen offered 15,000 rand, which is the equivalent of less than a thousand pounds, to carry out the alleged hits. The police said that Tongo's claims appear to be backed up by the copious amounts of CCTV footage, but others said that the CCTV backed up Shreen's side of the story and version of events too. We've spoken about this before. I just feel like you shouldn't shouldn't murder somebody. I feel that a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. (laughs) When it's crazy amounts of money, like, what, a thousand pounds? Yeah, I wouldn't. 
I've obviously wouldn't take any money to murder someone, but I mean, thousands of pounds. They were speaking about too as well, though. I know that wasn't murder, but it's like you have to have a price, and I feel like that is crazy little. Yeah, but then also you have to remember we're in South Africa. The rand you probably get more for your buck, and obviously it's they're maybe fair. in quite a deprived area. Still not a good oh, yeah, thing, fair. but I mean that could be a lot of money to them. Yeah, still don't do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Chongo said that after he drove away, he headed to the hotel that Mondo Malombo worked at, and it was here that Mondo contacted Quabe and the plan was set in motion. Phone records showed that Mondo repeatedly trying to get hold of Quabe and Tongo, and the CCTV in the hotel Mondo worked at had audio as well as camera footage. During one of his calls, he said, It's that thing we were talking about. It must happen today. Tongo said that he had met Shreen just before noon on the day of the murder so that Shreen could get his money converted and so Tongo drove him to the place with a lower conversion rate than the hotel. Binod said he tried to get hold of Annie that day but Shreen answered the phone and said he was in fact at the market changing some money over. Obviously Binod thought nothing of it and he just asked that she called him back later. Tongo professed that Shreen took him aside outside the Surfside restaurant on the night of the murder and wanted to know if it, it, he had arranged for the guys and Tongo confirmed that everything had been arranged. As they began to drive into Guguletu, Tongo said that he and Shreen exchanged several text messages and it was alleged that Shreen told him the cash was in an envelope in a pouch behind the front seat. Police said that the texts and calls between the pair were corroborated by cell phone data analysis, but because Shreen's phone was never located, the contents of the messages will probably never be known. The media were having a field day, and nobody knew what to think, obviously, with all of this that's going on. If this plea deal was to go ahead, it meant that Annie's family had to be consulted, and they were faced with a difficult decision. However, her family all ultimately agreed for Tongo to accept this plea. They said they just wanted the truth about what had happened to Annie. The amount of public attention that Annie's case was getting was even more clear to see when the court cases started. The story was huge and it was getting more surreal by the day. Shreen and his family forcefully denied all of the claims, saying it was completely ridiculous and lacked any evidence at all. Shreen's lawyers, two of the most powerful and successful in the country, said that it just seemed incomprehensible that he would have asked the first person he met in Cape Town to carry out a hit on his wife and it just made no sense for the state to be suggesting it. They said the evidence didn't actually prove anything. Just over a month after Annie had been killed, though, Zola Tongo was jailed for 18 years after making the plea agreement. Mengeni and Quabe soon followed suit and would both start pointing the finger at Shreen as well. Quabe would also be offered a reduced sentence which he would accept in exchange for a guilty plea and his promise of a testimony against Shreen and any other criminal proceedings related to the crime and he was subsequently jailed for 25 years. Mengeni though was not offered any kind of deal and he would later plead not guilty in court. Authorities said there was no point in offering him a plea deal because he couldn't have taken them any further with the case than anyone else involved. Which is kind of unfair considering the other two got one. I know they're obviously murderers in what they did, 
but like if you're gonna offer two I please, find it interesting yeah when yeah. you treat people differently yeah it's totally and I know they're all shitty people but it's like if you're gonna offer two a plea can they just be like ah not you yeah because like if that happened to you you'd be raging yeah but yeah I think if you're gonna do it to one you've got to do it to all yeah now Mengeni as well though he did get no plea but he, his trial was also pushed back because he underwent surgery for a brain tumour. But even with this, he was ultimately convicted and he was sentenced to life in prison. It was later announced, I think, he his life expectancy, I think, was practically five years. So it wasn't life-life, but his sentence was full-on life. Now, lawyers for both Quabe and Mengeni said their clients had been abused, even tortured by the police, because authorities were so pressured to solve such a high-profile case. Now, the police obviously denied all of these allegations. Mondo admitted to his involvement, but he was granted full immunity from prosecution in exchange for his promise of a truthful testimony against Shreem, something which left many shocked, considering he had been the one to make the call to Quabe and arrange the hit. Mondo said, I want to state it here that Mr. Dewani is lying. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. Shreem would soon find himself arrested in Bristol on suspicion of conspiring to murder Annie and South African authorities were now fighting to extradite him. But despite what all four men were saying, there still didn't appear to be any motive. People said he wouldn't have gained anything from Annie's death financially as there was no life insurance policy and by all accounts there didn't appear to be any issues within the couple's relationship. But an interview with the Sun newspaper was later published which gave the South African police a potential motive if Shreen was involved. Anonymous You mispronounced that. Oh, the... It's the a scum, scum newspaper. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Apologies. <laughs> um... Anonymous emails had been sent into them suggesting that Shreen was gay and people alleged that he had been paying a male prostitute for sex. His name was Leopold Lasser and was known to his clients as the German master. Leopold told the son, I'm going to keep saying son, I'm sorry, scum won't come, come on. <laughs> that Shreen had confided in him that he was in a relationship that he needed to get out of. But Shreen and his family had maintained that this was all nonsense and said that he was blissfully happy with his new bride. He said that he'd just married the girl of his dreams. Why would he want to kill her? However, police began speculating that perhaps Annie had found out during the honeymoon that Shreen was keeping this potential secret about his sexuality, and this is what sparked the later events. One of the leading investigators um, said it had become the most publicised, most in-your-face case he'd seen in his 36 years on the job. Despite all this, though, I actually, sorry, as much as family are saying no, that would make sense because I was starting to think if they're married or what, I was thinking, okay, it's an affair. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what I was thinking that it was going to come out that he had somebody. So, actually, the fact that it could be a guy, and especially in that sort of family, that Mm -hmm. is a lot more not as easy to just be like, sorry, I'm breaking up with you because I'm having an affair. It's obviously very frowned upon. So, that would actually make a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. It, you know, it can make sense. Just the whole, you can get out of it. You don't need to kill someone. 
Like, but yeah, you're right. Now, despite all this going on, Vinod fiercely fought back against anyone that suggested his son-in-law may have been involved, and he later revealed that over time, things had begun to eat away at him more and more. I have spoken with my son-in-law, and there are far more questions than answers, he said. Many South African reporters and journalists agreed and said that although the crime rate in the area was high, something just didn't add up. One reporter said that this was not a typical crime, far from it in fact, and a big red flag had been that the car was just left there rather than being burnt or sold on. Vinod said Shreen would often give varying accounts of what happened that night, different times, different orders of events. One example of this was that Shreen had told authorities Quabe and Mengeni had taken all of Annie's jewellery, but after Annie was found, he phoned an officer to ask him to check a seam in the back seat of the car, as he said he would find Annie's £25,000 engagement ring in there. And sure enough, there it was. When he was asked why this wasn't in the original statement, Shreen said he was in shock at the time and now he wanted to amend the statements he had made. Going back, though, to last week, Tracy Andrews, um, obviously we know, spoilers, if you've not listened to the case, like, stop listening now, but she obviously was the murderer. But remember when they, if her boyfriend had been killed, if she was then taken to the hospital and straight into the police, you are going to be in shock. So I do actually kind of believe that a statement you give immediately after watching that your other half be killed or finding out your other half been killed isn't going to be a good statement. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're going to be all over the place. So it's not going to, you're not going to be like, okay, I put the ring in here, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, benefit of the doubt. And you're probably getting asked questions. Yeah, nonstop. And your head's all over the place. Now, this one though. Shreen had also thrown a pizza party the night before Annie's funeral, which Vinod said he found to be highly inappropriate and disrespectful. Annie's family recalled that Shreen was furious that they had gathered to say goodbye to Annie before she was laid to rest and was very rough with her body when trying to dress her. Something Annie's cousins said made her extremely uncomfortable. Her cousin also said that the letters and flowers the family had left with Annie's body ended up on the floor when Shreen grabbed them and threw them down. He later apologised to the family and admitted he shouldn't have acted in that way. Like, I get it. We no, you bloody shouldn't have! No, I get your anger, etc. You can, you can go off on one, but the whole pizza party thing's a bit like... We've heard of this before, though, where people have had like a celebration of their parents, like their loved one's life but I think you need to kind of have the buy-in from everybody so yeah. that you you died I and I was like oh actually Samantha would want me to throw a party but like your whole family were like no that's a bad idea I wouldn't then be like well I'm still having the beach party do you know what I mean yeah you would go with the flow like you'd see what was happening here read the room to say the least now yeah, exactly <laughs> what a shame with all of this going on the Dewani family hired Max Clifford who was a well-known London press agent to handle the overwhelming amount of attention from the press. Max had represented celebrities such as Muhammad Ali, Marvin Gaye and Marlon Brando. Once well-respected and sought What after, a random, sorry, three celebrities. I know, all M's as well. I've just noticed that. I was, and, waiting, for, I was waiting for you to start reading it and then I was like, whoa. 
Yeah. And then Marlon Brando as well. I always picture him, like, from ages ago. Like, um, anyway. Godfather. Yeah. Once well-respected, and he was sought after in the world of PR, as you would with those names, he had a huge fall from grace in 2014. And he was sentenced to eight years in prison after being found guilty of a string of indecent assaults against young girls. Which I think happened to everyone in 2014 or, you know, it all came out. Rolf Harris and all that jazz. I don't know when he was, but it feels like it wasn't that long ago. Now, he later also died in prison after suffering a heart attack. But we're in 2010. He's their um, PR consultant still. Now, while he was handling Shreem's case, his brother Prayan demanded that Annie's family sign an agreement that said they would not say anything to the media without consulting Max Clifford first. But Vinod refused, quite rightly so at the same time, you know. Anyway, Shreen was sent to the Priory Hospital in uh, Bristol, which is a private treatment centre for addiction and mental health. Now, they do offer, I think, stuff on the NHS, but it is mostly private and was said to be suffering from depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Max Clifford said that Shreen had lost £28 since his wife's death and was getting weaker and weaker. Shortly after, he was detained under the Mental Health Act. Whilst this is all happening, he's also fighting a legal battle against being extradited from the UK to South Africa, but with his psychiatrist saying that he's too ill to stand trial at the moment. So he's suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome and depression, but also he feels he won't get a fair trial in South Africa. Annie's family, though, are absolutely insistent that he will get a fair trial. They say they just want to hear the truth and they've urged Shreen to give up the fight and to allow himself to be extradited to face trial and answer some questions. Annie's family had travelled from Sweden to sit through the extradition hearing at Woolwich Crown Court as the South African authorities want Shreen to stand trial over the alleged contract killing of his wife Annie. Much of the extradition hearing was centred on whether South African jails are dangerous, brutal places and whether Shreen would survive if he was sent there. As far as Annie's family is concerned, this hearing should not be happening at all. If he says he's not in, if he's not involved in anything, he should proudly just go to South Africa and say that he didn't do it. He's dragging this out now for years and he's not following. Like, if you didn't do it, well, I guess I'm not in that situation, but I'd be like, I didn't do it. Let me come and tell you, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's where it is. That's quite difficult because if he's worried about the punishment he could face, why? Like, if I knew I didn't do it, I would be like, okay, well, you can't find me guilty because there's nothing against me. So I think that's a telltale sign of being like, nope, because I'm going to jail. Yeah. Now, due to his mental health issues, Shreen's extradition hearings were pushed back and they were put off for a long time, but they finally began at Belmarsh Magistrates Court in London. Annie's uncle said, we don't understand why Shreen doesn't simply get on a plane and go tell his side of the story. Annie's brother said, we are just focusing on this case at the moment and it is hard to even start making the grieving process final yet because there are so many questions we need answers to. The Home Secretary at the time... Caitlin, do you want to guess who this was? What year are we in? Uh, I think we're in 2012 now. Susan May. Yep. Ooh. She. Yep. Later became Prime Who's Minister. Who's a Prime Minister? 
Yeah, but she did sign an order for Shreem to be extradited to South Africa. In 2014, Shreen entered a plea of not guilty to all five charges brought against him. And then the trial was set four years after being accused of plotting the murder of his wife. As well as pleading not guilty to the five charges against him, he also surprised the court through his lawyer as he went on to say that he was bisexual, that he'd had encounters with male prostitutes and he had abnormally low hormone levels, which meant that it was unlikely that he could ever have children. The prosecution would argue that the murder was linked to a sham marriage meant to hide his true sexual identity. And in his defence statement, Shreen admitted their relationship was turbulent and an email from Shreen to Annie, written before their wedding, was read out in court. If you really think being with me is not going to make you happy, then this is not right for you. I really hope that this is not what you're saying, but I don't want to feel like I forced you into something. On the first day of his trial, the court heard more about his sexuality and in a written statement read out by his lawyers, Shreen said that despite his previous denials, he was actually bisexual. Like what I said earlier. Now, Annie's family spoke of their disappointment of not knowing this about him and said that they were prepared to sue him for not being honest with them. A list of omissions released by the court also showed that Shreen had been looking at gay porn and dating websites on the honeymoon and just oh hours after Annie's body was found. Oh Again, there's a time and a place. Oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like, all for that. But yeah, I wouldn't, after my partner was dead, be like, right, get the porn sites up. Oh dear, that's not good. The prosecution said that this combined with the statements from the German master, Leopold, and several others clearly showed that Shreen was conflicted and desperate to hide a big part of his life. They argued that this wasn't about his sexuality per se, rather it was about the conversations in which he had disclosed his, his desire to get out of the marriage. Judge Jeanette Traverso listened to both sides and ultimately ruled that the evidence about Shreen's sexuality was inadmissible. More witnesses came forward on behalf of the prosecution and said that Shreen and Annie's relationship, no matter how perfect it might have looked, was far from it. Annie's cousin recalled that Annie had spoken to her just after the wedding and expressed her worry about whether a big mistake had been made in marrying him. Annie sent numerous text messages to her cousin saying things like, hate him, and fighting a lot with Shreen, told him I'm going home, wish I had never got engaged. A particularly sad one read, crying has become my new hobby. Just one day into the honeymoon, Annie sent another message saying, really trying, he's a really good guy in all the ways, but I don't feel happy with him at all. Others said any disagreements the pair had were totally normal and very trivial, and it's possible the stress of planning such a big wedding had left Annie tired and feeling very emotional. The state's star witness was Zola Tonko, and police and prosecution said that the entire case rested on his testimony. He was the only person that could testify to the alleged conspiracy, having been the only one to speak with Shreen. A lot of CCTV footage was shown to the court and one clip showed Tongo and Shreen talking in the hotel lobby just a day after Annie was killed. One of the cleaners could be seen in the frame as well and Shreen talks to the cleaner first for a second and Tongo said that this conversation Shreen asked him just to give them privacy. 
After the cleaner leaves, Shreen allegedly asked Tongo if the job had been done. Tongo said he had warned him that there was a camera right above them and Shreen looked up and stares at the camera for a second before looking away. Shreen said that this was a totally innocent conversation. More footage was played out and it showed Shreen and Tongo meeting in the hotel again. He had been sat with Vinod in one of the rooms and he can be seen carrying some sort of white envelope or package. Tongo follows him to another room away from Vinod and other guests and then leaves with the same package. Shreen then returns empty-handed and Tongo leaves the hotel and heads back to his car. The state said they believed this was the money that had been promised for the hit, but his lawyer said that the money was simply for his services as a driver. Some said this made total sense. Others questioned that if this was the case, why did the exchange of money take place in a private area off camera and away from Annie's father if it was just for the, the car journeys and things and for his inconvenience? You, it just doesn't add up. Now, Zola Tongo spent seven days on the witness stand, five of them under gruelling cross-examination. Shreen's version of events leading to the murder of Annie in November 2010 was described as nonsense and lies. Tongo is a man who said that Shreen is the mastermind behind Annie's murder. Tongo remained adamant that Shreen offered 15,000 rand to have his wife killed. Tongo's version in court and what he had told police in his affidavit in November 2010 also came under fire from the defence. Tongo was initially very confident on the stand, but when it came time for the defence's cross-examination, his version of events started to change. His story was showing more and more contradictions, and at one point he claimed the police must have added things into his statements without him knowing, which was why he was getting confused. Tongo, Mengeni and Quabe were all found to have committed perjury when their testimonies showed differing versions and they admitted to not telling the truth in parts of their affidavits. This threw everything about the already confusing case into question once more. You can understand a witness contradicting himself in certain regards or maybe even not saying exactly what he said in his witness statement, to the police initially, especially because it was a few years ago, but if these differences are serious and are material, then it has a major impact on the reliability and also the credibility. The defence's case was getting stronger by the day as the state's case and their number one witness began to crumble. On the 23rd day of Shreen's trial, his lawyers requested that the judge throw out the case on the basis that they deemed it to be massively flawed. And this was all before Shreen had even been taken the stand himself. Four years after the murder of Annie Dewani, Judge Jeanette Traverso gave a statement and she came down hard on the prosecution and criticised their case against Shreen. She said that the statements of the key witnesses were full of contradictions and ordered that Shreen be found not guilty. She said, In my view, the evidence presented in this case falls far below this threshold. In the circumstances, I make the following order. The application in terms of Section 174 of the Criminal Procedure Act is granted. The account accused is found not guilty and discharged and Mr Balombo is not granted indemnity from prosecution. On his return home to the UK, Shreen said, It is the evidence of these proven liars that led to a witch hunt against me and the resulting failure to pursue the truth of what happened that night.
Annie's family were devastated. They felt they had been let down by the judge justice system and that Annie had been let down too. After Shreen's extradition, Annie's family asked for the coroner's court in the UK to reopen the inquest into her death, which would compel Shreen to publicly answer questions. Coroner Andrew Walker said there was insufficient cause to start an inquest and he was prohibited from reaching a conclusion that was inconsistent with the findings of the South African courts. A formal complaint was lodged against Judge Traverso amid allegations of bias, with many feeling that Shreen should have been made to take the stand and give evidence. She would later be cleared of these claims. Mengeni, who was still suffering from the brain tumour, he eventually died in prison. Leopold Lasser, the man that had told the papers about his secret relationship with Shreen, was said to have been suffering from tremendous stress due to the court case, and he sadly, in 2016, took his own life. According to news reports, as of 2018, Shreen was still living in the UK with his boyfriend of about 18 months at the time. In 2021, after serving half his sentence, Zola Tongo was up for parole and Annie's father and uncle went to speak with him in prison before his scheduled release. They showed him a picture of Annie and he was emotionless, unaware of who it was. And when they explained who she was, he started crying. Both men said that they weren't satisfied that it was genuine emotion and that he didn't feel remorseful for what he had done, only that he was a very good actor. His parole was then withdrawn a day before his release. Tongo was later released from prison in June 2022 and was on house arrest for his first year of his six-year parole, after which he'll be completely free man, providing he doesn't breach any of the conditions. Annie's father, Vinod, said, We cannot rest until we know the full story about what happened to my daughter. We were only allowed half a trial in Cape Town, so that means only half the story is out there. We will not rest until all the facts have been revealed about how she was murdered and why. What did happen on that night in 2010? Who was involved? Was it an accident? Was it planned? Was it a theft that went completely wrong? I don't think anyone bar those that were truly involved will ever know. Um, but No, I don't think so. And I think yeah. when it's gone this far, what's the point in telling? Like, that sounds really, really brutal, but like, he's like, you know, all the charges have been done, everything's been done, so it's not like he's then going to come forward and say anything, because it'll just incriminate him more. Yeah, and so it's one of those. It. Yeah, and it's one of those, I think everyone will just keep quiet now, which I think mm. is the worst. Like, I know, obviously, if anybody's murdered, it's horrific, and it's horrible, horrible, but it's when the families then just never know. Mm-hmm. And, like, that is just so horrible. Like, so, so horrible. 